it's a difficult message to preach, but I think it's an important message. So if you'll stand with me as we read Romans chapter 7, 7 through 25. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which, I, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then... The law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what am I doing? I do not understand. For what I am not pra- for what for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of it is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. God, But on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. Lord, as we come into this passage of Scripture this morning, I just pray that you would... Show us what you've brought us out of, or who we are still. Father, we thank you that by your grace you've set us free from sin and his bondage. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy, and we ask that this morning your name would be magnified, your holiness glorified, and Lord, I just pray that we would be drawn closer to you, drawn to run after you with our whole lives. We just pray this, Lord. I ask, Lord, for your help. I can't do this on my own. I, I have nothing to offer, but you and your word and your Holy Spirit can speak this morning through me, and I believe, Lord, you will. Thank you, Lord, for this, and we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I was reading a story about a man. He... Uh, he was a producer for one of these survivor shows. 
not the TV series, but one of these Survivor Discovery Channel shows. And he was scouting out an area to see if it was going to be hard enough. And he's walking through the jungle. He has two guides in front of him. And as he's walking through the jungle, they're trying not to cut a path because they're afraid if they cut a path, then when this, these people come in, they'll know where to go. So they've got to keep the jungle the way it is. So they're going through the jungle. It's early morning, mist everywhere, can't really see. And finally, it starts, the sun starts to come out, and it just starts getting hot. As you can imagine, the heat of summer... But imagine you're in a, a jungle with 100-degree weather. He's in Costa Rica, and as he's walking, he noticed the two guys in front of him are stopped, and they're looking at their feet, and he realized they're probably looking for a snake. And that moment, he gets bit by a pit viper. And the rest of the story doesn't matter, but the problem is he didn't see that viper till it had bit him because it had disguised itself in its environment. And often this is what sin is doing to us. We don't see it because it's hidden. It's camouflaged. And so this morning, as we come into this text, we may be thinking, man, we read in... Paul doesn't seem to say anything good about the law, right? You, you look at verse chapter 3 and 4, the law, it doesn't save anyone. We know that. And then, and it's only faith that does this. By it, we know we sin, or no sin in chapter 3. It makes sin more obvious, and it, actually in chapter 5 it says it stimulates sin, and then it brings the wrath of God as well. And now here in verse 7 or chapter 7 verse 6 if you remember from last week it said but now we have been released from the law. So it seems like the law is really bad, right? The law has a problem. It's our problem. So up to this point it seems like Paul's just been hammering at the law as the problem. But what is Paul so Paul comes to this question. I, I think if, if the readers were reading this, they would have said, they would have thought this very same thing in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Don't you, can you see how that correlation happens? All we see is Paul talking about how the law can't do anything. It doesn't save us. It, it, again, it just lets us know about sin. It, it actually causes us to want to sin more, it says. Or stimulates our sin. It brings the wrath of God. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to be bringing anything good. So, is the law sin? No. The law, in my first point today, the law exposes sin's fangs. Just like that viper, when he bit down... That viper couldn't hide anymore. But the law is like a light shining and it exposes sin for what it really is. Because he says in verse 7, On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. 
How do we know that? For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not been said, you shall not covet. So what's Paul saying is, we would not know what sin really is if we didn't have it explained for us. Just like, you know, you see a snake in your yard. Where do you go to find out if it's venomous or not? Google now. <laughs> Used to be you had to have a snake a book in your house, but now we have Google and we're, we're, we're typing in the description of the snake that we see in the yard because we want to know if it's venomous. And that's what the law does. It shows us that our sin is venomous. It shows our, that our sin is seeking to kill us. It, it exposes sin's wickedness. Like I quoted before in Romans 3.20, it says, Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We do not know how wicked and how sinful we are without the law. So Paul is saying, no, it is not. No, the law exposes my sin. But, in verse 8, he says, But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me covenant of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. So, while the law exposed my sin, it also served to increase my sinfulness. We see this from verse 8 through verse 11. So the commandment really brought to light or shined a light on the repulsiveness of our sin. Right? When we see God's law and we compare it to us, we're like, oh, I thought I, you know, I was... I thought I was pretty good in comparison to Joel, but man, I'm not throwing you under the bus, Joel. You're definitely better than me, I'm sure. <laughs> in some areas, we all have areas God is working. But as sinners, we can't, we can't look at God's law and say, oh yeah, I've never lied, or I, I've never looked with lust, or, or whatever it may be. We, we can't ignore those sins and say, well, I'm okay. The law exposed our sin for what it was, rebellion against God. Why? How do we see that? It says, but sin taking opportunity through the commandment. How does it take the opportunity? If you, if you turn to verse 11, he explains it a little bit more. He says, for sin taking opportunity through the commandment, exact same language, right? Deceived me and through it killed me. What does that remind you of? Adam and Eve. What did, what did, what did the serpent say to, to Eve? He said, oh, surely you won't die. You know, God was just, you know, he was being a little overzealous in his language. Or, or he says, well, didn't God tell you you shouldn't look on the tree? And he, she goes, no, we weren't supposed to touch it. That wasn't the law either. God said, don't eat of the tree. And so the serpent was trying to paint a different picture than what God said. And this, this is what sin is. It is seeking to increase our sinfulness. And when we, when it's, when we see commands, we rebel. And we become, we, we produce, verse at the end of verse 8, it says, 
It produced in me coveting of every kind. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to covet this one way. What a sin to it multiplies itself. Oh, I, I'm going to covet my neighbor's donkey. Then I'm going to covet my neighbor's horse. Oh, he's got a Mustang in the garage. Okay, I'm going to covet that now. Uh, oh, he's got the new Festool for those Festool tool. Those things are expensive. It's like buying a Lamborghini or something. Uh, he's got the newest whatever it may be. He's got the newest uh, computer system that does all the schoolwork for you in a moment, you know. Whatever it may be, he's got the greatest thing. Well, it doesn't stop with one covet. Once you start coveting, it just multiplies and multiplies. And that's how sin is. When we see what sin is, we realize that we're not just coveting in one way. We desire to covet in other ways. I know I've told this story uh, twice already, but I just keep going back to Augustine and the pear tree that he, he hated pears, but he still wanted to steal the pears. Why? Because sin wanted its way. He just enjoyed sin for what it was, sin in his flesh. The problem is often what we see here in verse 9 as well. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive. It reared its ugly head just like that viper. It came alive because it had been exposed. It, now you knew it was there. It came alive in verse 10. And this commandment which was to result in life proved to result in death for me. Often we don't, we don't realize how wicked we really are before Christ as sinners. We, or we've forgotten what God has brought us out of, who we were. We thought our sin, and some Christians today, I, I think, think the same thing about, well, it's just a little white lie. Or, we like to put little in front of it so that it justifies sin. It says, but we like to think of our sin as just a little pet hamster running on a treadmill in our heart. It's looking for food. The problem is, when the law comes, it exposes that that's not a hamster. That's a pit viper. And what we see is venom dripping from its fangs. I don't know if you've seen a picture of a snake with its mouth open and the fangs out and venom actually dripping. It's not a very pretty sight. But that's the thing. We think of our sin as just a little pet we keep. But what Paul is saying is sin is seeking to kill and destroy you. It is like that pet viper. It wants to sink its fangs in you and destroy you. And instead of this commandment in verse 10 that should be bringing life, why does he say that? Because in Leviticus 18.5 it says, So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. So the commandments could give life if we could obey them. 
But all of us know we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the commandment that promised life actually brings death because there's the opposite truth. The curse that comes from disobedience. I was reading about reading this article and, and they said the primary purpose about the, uh, the man who got bit by this pit viper, the primary purpose of viper venom in nature is predatory. As soon as it is delivered, it begins to pre-digest tissue. I know, that, I, I know this is disgusting, but I think we need to see how disgusting our sin is. The pre-digest tissue. This is so that an animal with no means to break prey down in smaller pieces can efficiently digest it. From the inside out at first strike, then from the outside in when the snake swallows it. So this man, his foot actually started to rot. He lived. He he was he had the money to get a chopper and all that and get anti-venom. But his foot actually started to rot from the inside out because that's how venom works. Isn't that interesting? That's how our sin is. It wants to destroy us from the inside out. The venom also causes the victim to bleed abnormally. Bleeding prey loses blood and blood pressure so that it cannot perfuse its muscles and brain, so it can't use them, which causes it to stop running at a distance that is not too far for the snake to recover. Now, the snake can track the prey at the snake's own pace while the prey starts to digest. What is he saying? The snake doesn't have to be with the person because the venom is in there doing its work. It's breaking down that tissue. When human tissue gets digested and bleeds abnormally, the result is tissue death. Dead tissue, necrosis, or rots. So, that's what sin does. Sin is causing you to rot from the inside out. Especially if we don't have hope. This is specifically designed, this this argument Paul is talking about is specifically talking about those who are still in sin, who have not been set free. But today we can also look at this and realize, you know what? When I choose to sin... When I choose to ignore what God has done for me and how Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law, then I'm forgetting what used to control me, the deadliness of my sin, the destructive power of the venom of sin as it sinks in. So, just like that pit viper, our sin, how does it deceive us? It it tries to camouflage itself into its environment. It tries to hide so that it won't be bothered. But when the moment you get into its range, 
It attacks. The commandment will expose its hiding place, and that's when it attacks. Just We all can, can relate to, especially before Christ, but even now, how many times in our lives do we, we see that our sin is a result of rebellion? We don't like that. We don't like what God has to say. So we see that the law exposes sin's fangs. It exposes our sin by increasing our sinfulness, and it continues to show that God's law is holy, righteous, and good. We see in verse 12, if you turn there with me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. So we... We cannot blame the law for our sin. That's what Paul is saying. The law is not sin. So stop blaming the law. So now you're asking, okay, what is the problem then? Paul's getting to that. So an application on these, this point here, that the law is exposing our, our sin and, it, and its fangs, We need to look to Scripture so that sin cannot hide. That's why it's so important for our Christian life to be in God's Word. Because if we're reading God's Word, what's happening? God, through His Holy Spirit, is illuminating our eyes to see, oh, I shouldn't have talked to Megan that way yesterday. Or I shouldn't have talked, I shouldn't have reacted that way to my children's disobedience. Or I shouldn't have done this. Now, that's, a, that's the answer for believers. For unbelievers who haven't surrendered their life to Christ, it exposes how sinful you truly are, the motives of the heart. And it should be drawing you to Christ. Because you realize, as we see at the end of this verse, how wretched you are. And it should be the same for, for believers. I am wretched if Christ did not die for me. I don't know about you. So, second point. The commandment profiles sin's nature. And we see that through in verse 14 through 23 and, and verse 25. So, we just saw that... The law is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So, if sin isn't, the, if law isn't sin, well, what is the problem? And that's kind of where his question is. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? So, did the commandment become the cause of death for me? What does he say? No. Rather, it was sin. So, sin was the problem. Sin is what caused death to me. Why did it cause death? In order that, or for the purpose that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. So that the commandment, through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Utterly sinful. Sin killed us. Why? So that it would be shown to be sin. How? By bringing my death through something good. 
It makes me think of my dog. Those of you who have been to my house know we have a dog. But my dog had this problem when we lived in Guatemala. She was, our house was kind of an open to the outdoor and indoor. That's how they do a lot of houses in Guatemala. So our dog was in our area. Well, our dog had a propensity for trash. Loved to get in the trash. And, but she knew it was wrong. And she wanted us to think that she was doing good. Well, one day we really knew that she understood that it was sin for a dog. She knew that it was wrong to get in the trash because we heard a noise. Our trash was in our kitchen. She wasn't allowed in that room. She knew it. She wasn't allowed in the kitchen, living room. She was only allowed in like the hallway areas. So she comes, we hear a noise in the kitchen and Megan and I look at each other like, sounds like she's getting in the trash. And I don't know, it wasn't very long that we waited. And so I got up, went to go look. And I'm like, this is weird. She liked to lay in front of our door because our room had, our bedroom had AC in it, which made it a place where we hung out a lot because where we lived, it was like 90 degrees all the time. So uh, anyway, so she would lay in front of the door because there wasn't like a, a block to keep the cold air from going out underneath. So I go to open the door and I'm like, wait, she's right here. Or maybe it was, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Megan. Yeah, so our room is upstairs. The kitchen is down on the first floor, the technically basement level. And so I, th- I think it was Megan that opened the door and she was like, she's sitting right here. It must not have been that. I'm like, is she breathing heavy? Sure enough, she had gotten in the trash. She hurt she, when she made that noise. She ran up the steps and laid in front of the door like nothing happened. That's how sin is. It's so sinful that it tries to hide itself. It's utterly sinful. And, and though our dog wanted to please us, she couldn't because her nature said trash tastes good. Right? And that's how we are. By nature, in, in the flesh, we want to sin. It is our nature, and that's what Paul's getting at. The problem is not the law. The problem is not the commandment. It's you. Our sinful nature is intrinsic to a non-believer's heart and life. You can't separate the two. This whole statement, love the sinner and hate the sin, is so ridiculous. I'm not saying that we shouldn't reach out to the lost. That's not what I'm saying but I'm, what I'm saying is sin is intrinsic to our nature. It is not an outside force that forces us to do something. That's what Paul is getting at. Because what do we see here? He says, he goes on to explain what he means in verse 14. And his first point in verse 14 is that the sin killed him. For we know that law is the law is spiritual. Okay, so we understand that. The law is spiritual, but 
I am a flesh. Okay, so we're seeing a contrast. The law is spiritual. I am a flesh. Sold into bondage to sin. Okay, so what is Paul talking about? So many here in verse 14, Paul switches from talking about past tense to present tense. Do you see the difference? Like through if you look in verse 13, it says, by affecting my death through that which was good, so that through the death sin would become utterly sinful. He's talking about things that happened in the past. But in verse 14 it says, But I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. And from verse 14 until, honestly, verse 25, he uses present tense. So there's two arguments about verse 14 through 25. The first one is that Paul is talking about a Christian. And the reason they say that is because he's using present tense, which makes sense. But the problem I have with that is I don't think Christians are sold in bondage to sin. Do you? And he uses that language here multiple times. Because he says in verse 24... Who will set me free from the body of this death? You see that? So, and he even says in verse 25, On the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the Lord of God, law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. Who wins in that battle? The flesh. His mind wants, it agrees with the law, it wants to do the law, but his flesh always wins. And the reason I don't agree with men like Augustine, Luther, and Calvin, all of them believe that about this verse, what I just said. The reason they, they believed that he was talking about a Christian. The reason I don't believe that is true is because in chapter 6 alone, just chapter 6, Paul uses slavery and freedom multiple times. The word slave is tied to sin five times in chapter 6 alone. In chapter 7, he uses it two more times, and actually a third time if you look at verse 23. If you think of prisoner, it's a type of bondage. He uses freedom from sin... Three times in chapter 6 and three times in chapter 7. And he used the word master over you, sin as a master, twice in chapter 6. On the opposite, if you follow the context, in chapter 8, he refers to, let's, let's just look at it, verse Chapter 8, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Does that sound like bondage to you? Okay. Verse 6, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. That doesn't sound like bondage to me. 
Verse 7, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. It says the, the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. You see, there is no way for us to do good outside of Christ. And that is why I don't, I believe this section of Scripture is talking about pre-conversion Paul. Paul is seeking to further the point that he makes in verse 13, that it's sin is the problem. And that sin is utterly sinful. It's his nature. And so Paul is talking about himself in the first person, present, because he's speaking specifically to those who know the law. How do we know that? If you look in verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am talk, speaking to those who know the law. So likely he's talking to Jews still in sin. So he's speaking in a way almost like a story. In the New Testament, oftentimes when a story is being told, they actually tell it in present tense even though it's a past tense situation. It's how they bring life to the language. So that's what I believe is going on here. And I think the context makes it clear. Paul is not talking about a Christian because how could a Christian be sold into bondage from sin? I thought we were... Bought with a price. Does that mean that I think people who have the other opinion are not going to make it? No. This argument has gone on for years. And the question is not, well, are they totally off? They have a good point. But I don't believe that they're taking into consideration the whole text. I actually have a professor at, at school who has change his mind four times on this verse. <laughs> so I want you to know, don't, don't throw somebody under the bus. Oh, they're preaching heresy because they say this is pre, uh, converted Paul. I don't think so. But I don't believe it's true to the context of this passage. Anyway, so back, back to the text. Why is this so important? So in verse 15 or verse 14, we, it says he's sold into bondage to sin, no matter what he wants to do. And, and he explains this. So how is he sold into bondage to sin? Verse 15 and 16. It's his nature. For what I am doing, I do not understand. You see that? That bondage. I'm doing something, but I don't understand why. Why? For I'm not practicing what I would like to do. So... You say, well, that sounds, I don't think people want to follow God who aren't Christians. But Paul, and all of us, I would believe, especially if you grew up in the church, in a situation like Paul, you want to do good, but no matter what you do, you keep disobeying. Your parents, you, you do the things that you don't want to do. And I think about Philippians chapter 3, if you'll turn, I want you to see this, what Paul says about himself. He says, talking about himself, he says, 
He's talking about putting confidence in his flesh. And he says, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. You see that? Paul, in his in his flesh, was trying and, and appeared to be doing everything according to the law. But his heart wasn't right. He wanted to do wickedness. And it's very likely he was doing wicked things. Yes, we know that he was killing Christians. That was wicked. Why? Because Christ was his Savior. Not the law, but he was seeking to find his righteousness in the law. So he's saying, I'm practicing what I would like, what I what I would like to do. I'm not, sorry, and I'm doing the very thing I hate. And I, I believe this is even closer to people who are being prodded by the Lord. Because I know when I was God started doing a work in my heart, He showed me that. I wanted to do good things. I saw the truth that the Bible taught, and I wanted to do it, but I couldn't. No matter how hard I tried, I could not do it. Because it was my nature. It was inseparable from me. He says, but if I do, in verse 16, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law. Confessing that the law is good. So, even in sin, he's confessing that the law is true. We're we're proving that the law is true by our sinfulness. That doesn't make, I know that makes, that's kind of difficult to understand. But what he's saying is, our sin doesn't make the law untrue or make it wicked. The law is a law, period. Our sinfulness just proves that we're sinners, not that the law is bad. So now, verse 17, no longer I am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want... I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Under this point, we we see that sin killed us. Sin is our nature. And now sin calls me home. Sin has put up a sign inside. Home, sweet home. Live, laugh, love. Oh, sorry. I don't like that. Uh, if you have it in your house, I'm sorry. I don't. I think that's so corny. And uh, I told Megan we can't have those signs in our house. But anyways, <laughs> anyways, it's got pictures of the kids. Sin has made its home in us from the very beginning. Sin is our nature. What he says: nothing good dwells in me. Then what's dwelling in us? Sin, wickedness. If we think 
that we're okay, that we're good enough to get into heaven, we're totally missing it in ourselves. We cannot. Sin dwells in us. It, it's like a squatter. I heard this story about a lady. She, can't, she, she had put her house up on the market, had sold it. She came the day before she was going to close and found a family living in her home. Somehow, somebody had broken in, changed all the locks, and put, on, put the house up on Craigslist for rent. This family gave that guy $3,000 for rent. I don't know how many months that was. It was in Georgia. And gave him the keys and left. This family thought nothing of it until two weeks later the lady showed up at her house getting it ready to sell. I was like, uh, why are you in my house? This is my house. No, it's ours. See, we have paperwork. We have everything. That's how sin is. It's squatting. <laughs> and it doesn't want to get out. It's not leaving. It refuses to leave. You can give it an eviction notice, but they're like, one of us is going to be here. <laughs> that, that family was... I'm like, how do they not get them out? Somebody's got to go to the store. Well, apparently one person, one of the family members stays at home at all times because I don't understand how it works. But anyways, but sin calls us home. It's living in us. It is our nature. It is not something outside of us. And that's the problem that people often forget about sin. It is utterly sinful. It will not stop. Yeah, there are people who want to do good. But the extremes that we want to point out, like Hitler and Stalin and you name them, those are people who have given themselves totally over to sin. But that doesn't make us any less sinful. We're just trying to put on a face that we're doing good, but in reality... We're not. And this is, again, I'm talking about unbelievers. I think believers sometimes try to do this. Try to put on a face that's, that's not true. And then verse 21 through 23 and then verse 25, we see that sin is waging a war. Twenty-one. I find then the principle that evil, this word principle is actually the word law. So we can say, we find, I find then the law that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. So I want to do good, but evil is present in me. It's, again, it's dwelling in me. For, and he, he goes on to explain what he means, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. So there's something inside me. Oh, yes, I love God's law. Oh, it's so great. I delight in it. But I see a different law, verse 23, in the members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind. So his, his mind, he his mind, he thinks, oh, yes, the law is good. It is good. I want to do it. So he's mentally assenting to the truth of the law. 
to the rightness of the law, the goodness of the law, the righteousness of the law. But there's a war. And in that war, sin, it says, he says, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Remember that word members is all my body parts. Every part of me. There's nothing in me. So he is a prisoner to sin. No matter what he wants to do, those shackles are keeping him bound. This is not a Christian. This is an unbeliever. And there are some people who think they're Christians and they're not having victory in anything in their lives over sin. And they should consider, am I a born-again believer? Because if you are not experiencing victory on a regular basis in your life, if you're not experiencing growth and godliness, I'm not saying that we don't deal with things. Because I have experienced as a Christian seasons of life where I did seriously consider, am I a born-again believer? I don't know because I can't seem to overcome this particular sin. And we should ask that question. And it leads to this result. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am. I'm bound. I, I can't do anything that I want. I, 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 I agree with the law. It's good and righteous, but I can't even do anything. I'm just... Locked up in this cage and sin is controlling my life. I have no hope. That's what he's saying. There's nothing in me that gives me hope. In verse 25, at the end he says, So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh the law of sin, which we know sin wins. Because his mind is, again, assenting to the truth of the law of God, but... His body is living for sin. It's in bondage to sin. Serving sin. So, in light of this second point that sin is our nature, how do we apply this? If you're a Christian, or if you're, if you're not a believer, if this battle is waging your life, look for hope. Look for hope. If you are a believer and struggling with addiction, whether it's pornography or lust or, or lying or stealing or whatever it may be, cry out to God, Lord, why do I want to do this? What is it that I'm not crucifying in the flesh? What is it? What lie am I believing? Well, there is hope, and we find that hope in verse 25. Because who will set me free from the body of this death? That me, this wretched man who's died because sin has taken me and destroyed me, my sin nature. 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. My third point is Jesus Christ, our anti-venom and spirit giver. We need, we need something to stop the rot that that venom has started in our flesh. But we don't need just God to cleanse, clean us out. He needs to come and dwell in us. Because we, believers, were in bondage and wretched. Unbelievers, you're wretched and in bondage. There's no hope outside of Christ. Jesus alone can set you free and set us free. If we are relying, if we have come to Christ through faith, and then we start living as though our works will save us, we are totally messed up. We shouldn't determine whether our walk with God is good because of how good we're doing. I'm not saying that we shouldn't deal with sin. But we should not be determining, well, my salvation is secure because I'm reading my Bible every morning, I'm drinking my cup of coffee. Oh, sorry, that's a different religion. Uh, <laughs> I'm teasing, teasing. Uh, I'm praying every day. I'm, I'm caring for the poor. I'm doing these things. Those things don't secure our salvation. What secures our salvation is the blood of Christ on the cross. His resurrection power. He comes. He took the fangs of death upon Him. So there's this, this thing that people can do. If you are bit by a, a snake and you survive, your blood can actually be used as an anti-venom for someone else. Did you know that? There's a guy in Florida who has been bit by venomous snakes over 60 times. Somehow the guy lived to be 100. He's dead now. Um, but he would donate his blood to snake bite victims because he took the bite, his blood became, was able to uh, take away when mixed with somebody else's blood, would take away the effects of the venom. I think that preaches pretty well. I, I don't know about you, but Christ took the bite that we deserved Sin reared its head on Calvary and the wrath of God was poured out on Him. Every sin that we sin was poured out on Him and He delivered us by His blood. And now when we trust in the blood of Christ and His cleansing power, we don't have to worry about salvation anymore. And instead, we live lives that are glorifying to God because Christ is in us. Why? As an application to unbelievers, Jesus took the sting of death. We all know 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 57. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know how you need more hope if you're an unbeliever. 
Turn to Christ. If you're a believer, remember what Christ did for you. He took that sting. Unbelievers, you can get a new tenant. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Because the problem is, just because you evict the old tenant doesn't mean they won't try to come back if no one's living there. That's how squatters get in the house in the first place. No one's living there. They see an opportunity, they come in. So if you turn with me to Luke chapter 11, Jesus is talking about casting out devils. The, the Pharisees are trying to accuse Jesus of being of the devil. He says, And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. I don't know how casting out demon was not a good enough sign. Anyways, but he knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided itself falls. If Satan also divided against himself, how would his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I, by Beelzebub, Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? He turned it around on them really quick. So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then verse 21 is where I want us to see. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he has relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. He kind of explains this more. When the unclean spirit goes out of man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, not finding any. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, finds it swept and put in order. Oh, so nice of you. Then it goes and takes along with seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. You see, the strong man comes and takes the house. Christ is our strong man. He he evicts the previous owner, sin. Why? Sin dies. Our old man dies. Christ comes. He overpowers. And we need His Spirit to dwell in us, to give us power over sin. So when sin tries to come back, When the spirits of this world try to come knocking at the door to see if anyone's home, what does the spirit say? Uh, Occupied, I live here, I have power over you. And and that's how when those thoughts come, when we can't seem to overcome sin, this is for believers, when we can't seem to overcome our sin, or we don't think we can, when we come to Christ, we... We realize the Spirit's with me. He's giving me power over sin. I don't have to give in to sin anymore. It doesn't have to reign in my life anymore. It doesn't have to be making its abode in my, my heart. 
If you turn back to Romans chapter 8. So, if you're an unbeliever and you need Christ today, turn to Jesus, repent and be set free. Death took the, Jesus took the sting of death so that you could have a new tenant. That pit viper doesn't have to be there anymore. Why? Verse 8, chapter 8, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? We are not condemned anymore because we're in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. If you're a believer, this should awaken joy and hope and peace in your hearts. If you're an unbeliever, it should too. Turn to Jesus. In verse 6, For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. We'll, we'll talk about this a lot more when we get to chapter 8, but if we do not turn to Christ, if Christ is not our source of hope and salvation through faith in Jesus, by the work of the Holy Spirit, we, we're lost. Death has not finished its work in us. And as believers, we can apply this today. Remember what Jesus has delivered you from. Don't go back. How many of you all have seen people that we've grown up with our whole lives, at different stages of our lives, walk away? I, I can think of one person that has completely... I mean, completely walked away from God. I don't know that I could even talk to them about God anymore because they, they don't want it. They forgot what God brought them out of. Don't forget. Remember. How do we remember? Read the Word. Remind yourself of who you were. How, the God, how God's Word describes you. Read Romans. Because you'll, <laughs> you'll be like, man, I was terrified. If we don't understand how wicked we are, we don't value what Christ did like we should. We don't understand the gospel like we should. Number two, live in the power of the Spirit in obedience to God's Word. We need the Spirit in our life. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, cry out to the Lord. I believe He will give it. It's for all who ask. We need the power of the Spirit because we can't live spiritual lives apart from His indwelling Spirit. And lastly, share your deliverance with others. I know this is a point that I, I, share, I make a point to add, but the gospel is not just for us. The deliverance that God has given us is not just for me. It's not just for you. It's for the world to hear what Jesus has done, how Jesus has come and brought His kingdom to your life and His rule to your life. So share His deliverance with others. Is Christ dwelling in you? Or is sin still master? That's the question we have to ask. Are you bound still to your master's sin? Or are you set free? Are you still wretched and hopeless in a dark prison cell? Or have you been set free? 
Let the law expose sin so that you can be set free. Don't reject it this morning. I pray that you will be blessed by this message. Be encouraged at what Christ has done in your life. Don't forget what God has done, who you were. It didn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home. I was just as wicked as the guy who got saved from prostitution and all that. Alcoholism and drugs and different as they're dealing with effects that I don't. But my heart was just as wicked. I wasn't any better because I grew up by God's grace in a home where I was taught the truth. So don't let it be the same for you. Realize you're wicked. You need a Savior. And and if you have been born again, thank God for it. Let's pray and we'll dismiss. Father, I pray that you would help us to see sin. Let your word, Lord, expose how wicked we are without you. Lord, even as believers, I pray that you would let your word sink into us and, and just expose those areas of our heart that are so wicked that it would cut, Lord, and, and show us what wickedness is in us so that, Lord, we can be further surrendered to you. We need you, Lord. We desire to delight in you in all things. Lord, though we're not perfect, we ask, Lord, that you would bring us to maturity. Lord, that we would constantly run to You, that we would hate our sin as believers. Hate it so much, Lord, that when we do fall into sin, we come running to You, asking for forgiveness, running to You, seeking to find out what it is in us that wants that. Lord, we thank You for the grace that we aren't in bondage to sin anymore. We've been set free, and I pray, Lord, that all those who have heard this word this morning would be drawn to Christ, drawn to your saving work, and realize, Lord, that in you we have all that we need for life and godliness. Draw us to yourself, we pray this morning. Guide us, Lord, and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen.